welcome to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bush. As a board-certified integrative and functional medicine health coach, I work with physicians and clients across the country to create healthy habits that stick. The mission of this podcast is to empower you, the listener, to take charge of your own health and to shift the healthcare paradigm one conversation at a time. Each episode digs deep into health and wellness informed through the lens of integrative and functional medicine. I talk to those in the trenches doing the work and sharing ideas. You will hear from cutting-edge leaders and everyday people making the world and our lives better each moment through nutrition, mindfulness, gut health, spirituality, movement, and so much more. Are you living up to your full capacity? Well, stay here, have a listen, and maybe expand your world a little bit. Now on to this week's show. Hi, Amy Drab. Welcome to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I am so excited to have you here, and this is just really nice to actually connect with you and see you again. Uh, Amy Drab, PA who just started a new functional medicine practice as well. Um, so Amy, tell me a little bit about you and how you got into your work and your eventual journey to functional medicine. Awesome, well, thanks for having me, Karen. I really appreciate that you'd invite me on your show. And um, so maybe just a little bit about myself. I uh, first went into the universe or wormhole into the universe of functional mm -hmm. medicine when um, I encountered issues in my own family that we couldn't resolve. So um, I had a daughter that had um, really bad asthma and they were telling us she needed to be on a steroid. And I know that impaired growth and she was already on four prescription medicines and, and I just didn't want to go that route. So I explored options. And I, um, on that journey, uh, visited a functional medicine provider who um, figured out that uh, my daughter had some food sensitivities and uh, did a functional medicine approach, worked on gut healing and got her off all four of her prescription medications um, with that approach. It was pretty profound and left wow. a huge impact on me. And so then I realized that I needed to explore this. And, and the more I looked, the more I realized that um, the way that I was doing medicine was perhaps not a complete picture. <laughs> and, and, um, so that, that started the journey and the metamorphosis. And I eventually, um, became certified through the Institute for Functional Medicine. I worked in private practice in, um, uh, a really nice functional medicine, uh, practice in Florida. And then I went on to Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, learned a lot there. Mm. And then here recently, just uh, decided to come back to Florida. And I've recently started my own practice, Awaken Functional Medicine. And um, yeah, it's been quite a journey, a good journey. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. What, what a story. And truly, I think that that's part of this um, message that I want to pass along to people is that these things that we think we need to live with or medications that we need to be on, um, maybe even physicians telling you, well, you're probably gonna have to be on this for the rest of your life, is not really the complete story, as you said. So, wow, what an eye-opening experience and, and congratulations to you for being someone to, 
sort of dig through that and find that for your daughter. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, all of us, all of us have that opportunity. You just got to dig. Right. So. And, and I think that, again, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is really to reach more people and help them understand all of the different ways that functional medicine can really um, support our health on a daily absolutely. basis. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you and I met through the Center for Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, and that was really an exciting time to work there and, and just experience everything that happened there. Um, and, and there is where I realized how um, in-depth and how, um, how much your practice revolved around hormones and thyroid and the amount of information and education that you um, really sought out for yourself. So tell me a little bit about how that became your, um, almost your specialty, but I won't say that necessarily. It's just a really um, a deep dive place for you. And that's kind of what this podcast will be about as well, thyroid and hormones. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think it, um, for me, it, it was probably just the fact that after you witness uh, seeing so many people really improve with just that proper hormone support. And specifically, it seems as though the thyroid is probably kind of the hormone of hormones, if you will. <laughs> um, it, it, it's kind of the leader of leaders <laughs> yeah. in the body. It really does direct um, the other hormones in some ways. Um, and uh, it's just amazing when you get a little bit right, how you can crawl out of a hole and sometimes that's one of the first things that uh, that that kind of helps people to get out of that hole, if you will. You know, just mm -hmm. making sure that their hormones are supported properly, along with, of course, good lifestyle choices and gut support and things of that nature. Sure. So, when you see people um, in your functional medicine practice, or over the time that you've been in functional medicine, you know, it's not always apparent to people. They don't come to you all the time saying, "I think there's something wrong with my thyroid," right? What are no. some of the things that, that people experience as symptoms or things going on in their body that they don't even know are thyroid, but you kind of click in and go, ah, I think this might be a hormonal issue. Yeah. Well, it, you know, almost always people realize when they're cold all the time or they're gaining weight that it might be a low thyroid thing. But um, what they don't realize is uh, you know, when, they're, when their gut is not working right, when they have constipation or when they have a lot of food sensitivities, their immune system may not be working quite right. Um, if they've got, uh, for example, low stomach acid and they mm. just aren't digesting their food many times, that's a thyroid issue. When they have thinning eyebrows, especially the lateral third, that's a very unique and specific sign that, that seems to be associated with thyroid disease. And, and I know that's just kind of, you know, random, the lateral third of your eyebrows, but it seems right. to me that that is thyroid related. Um, lots of times what you see is brain fog. You know, there's many causes of brain fog, but that is a very, very common cause for why people experience that. And then of course, um, you know, just in general, it, it controls the metabolic function of every cell in your body. So it's like nothing works right if your thyroid's not working right. So sometimes it's very diffuse, random, unusual things. Right. So, so and that's, I think that's a really important thing to um, parse out and help people understand. I, I often talk about the um, MSQ, which is the My Symptoms Questionnaire. 
which yep. has all of these symptoms that people would never put together or even know right. that they are a symptom. Yes. Right? Like looking well, at your nails or, you right. know. Yeah. And we don't even know that we feel bad sometimes when we've felt, felt bad for as long as we have, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes when someone just is very specific about asking those questions on the MSQ, you can kind of figure that out. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that that's kind of a, um, it's a good way of looking at, so the MSQ is something that, that we use in a clinical practice, but you could probably Google it and find all the symptoms online anyway, um, and kind of look into that. And that would be a sort of a red flag for you to go, oh, wow, itchy skin. I just thought that was because I was dry in the winter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. maybe not, right? Um, yeah. Dry skin is a thyroid symptom as well. Mm -hmm. Very common. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think also the the piece about thyroid is we can't always just um, feel like we, you know, when you get to a functional medicine physician, sh certainly they're going to look at that. But what if you're with a, a conventional medicine physician and, you know, the testing that they do comparatively to the testing that's done in functional medicine, um, sure. what would you say about the tests and, you know, levels of normal, quote unquote, or what to do when you find that something isn't quite normal? Sure, so the, uh, the, the traditional approach would be more like um, doing a TSH or maybe a TSH plus a T4 or a free T4. Now these are the names of tests and I'll tell you about them in a minute. But typically in the traditional approach, you're just gonna be drawing maybe one or two tests. And if those tests, the TSH and the T4, if they're normal, that's it. That is your thyroid workup. No further action needed, no further testing done. But, um, you know, actually from a functional medicine perspective, we'd probably test quite a bit more. We would um, order a TSH, a free T3, free T4, a reverse T3, thyroid antibodies, and maybe some nutrition markers that we would, um, that that's, kind of indicate whether or not you have the building blocks to actually produce thyroid hormone. So that would be um, at least the beginning of a functional medicine approach. And of course, of course, you would do a root cause analysis as to what could be causing thyroid um, issues to begin with. So that may be something like looking at the gut, looking at what's causing inflammation in your body. Um, it could be uh, stress and looking at yeah. maybe uh, you know, do we need to work on stress or, um, you know, I mean, there's just a number of different things that it could be. The list is almost endless yeah. <laughs> and dependent yeah. on the person. But, um, but once you do that functional medicine approach, um, the actual treatment is very different than a traditional approach. So with the traditional uh, medicine approach, what you'd probably get is something called Synthroid if your levels were abnormal. But when I say abnormal, I mean, absolutely 100% outside of the range and not just a little out of the range, but probably really out of the range normal. So what you're saying is that the conventional medicine outlook around the numbers on the thyroid are really that it has to be way outside of the norm for them to really think that there's even something to look at. So, so some will treat a little bit sooner than others. Um, so, so you will see a little bit of variation, but Typically, what you're going to see is um, a TSH that's elevated above the level of five. And in fact, some will wait until it's even above 
10. I would hope oh. that they wouldn't, but wow. I have seen that. Okay. Um, so, you know, some will wait until it's definitely way abnormal because sometimes it can go back to a normal, but anyway, um, you know, it, they would wait till it's absolutely hundred percent abnormal before treating typically. Um, but from a functional medicine perspective, even within the range of normal, we realize that you can be on the edge of normal and almost abnormal and probably not feeling good. And that's the time when intervention would be important, even at that point, because you can see you're kind of trending and close to being outside of the normal range. And what, and then, what is the normal range? I mean, what would... So, so a TSH, um, you know, it kind of varies a little bit from one lab to the next, but it's uh, depending on the lab, yeah. uh, it is um, uh, upper level of a TSH is about five. Mm -hmm. And then lower level is about, um, I think it's 0 0.5 or, or one to 0 0.5. It kind of depends on the lab that you're, um, you're going to. So if you had a number like, you know, 0 0.5 or one, mm -hmm. yet you had all kinds of symptoms. I mean, is that possible to have something that looks like somewhat of a normal TSH, but then symptoms of things that just don't feel right? So, so if you're hypothyroid, you're more likely to have a high TSH. Mm -hmm. So it would be, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, something like that. Um, and if you're kind of on the edge of normal, you know, maybe inside the normal range, but on the edge of normal, um, you know, certainly I, I think from a functional medicine approach, you probably want to intervene or do something with that. Um, most people feel good with a TSH between one and two. Mm -hmm. That's usually where most people feel the best. Um, but of course, everyone's different and it's a unique approach. And you, you know, ask the question of, hey, do you have thyroid, hypothyroid signs and symptoms? And if you do, uh, you know, maybe dig a little deeper and make sure that their levels are normal. Yeah, great. That's really good information in terms of just numbers and thinking differently than conventional medicine does um, and, and what you would do with that. So, so that's the other thing, when the numbers come back. And I guess this is a good question too. You know, sometimes I have people ask me, um, could I get those um, extended labs done by my primary care physician? Would they do like the T3, yeah. T4, reverse T3? What do you see in they that? They might. Mm -hmm. they, they might if you ask, um, but they might not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's going to depend on their comfort level. Um, you, you might be pushing them into a place where they, they may or may not feel comfortable going. So it's really going to just depend. But can they order that from a traditional lab? Absolutely, they can. Okay. So even if, if the physician requests or says, yes, I'll do that for you, I'm not quite sure what I might do with those numbers if we see them. Um, maybe right. I'll refer you to yes. an endocrinologist. But you right. could get them done through the PCP and then maybe make that decision to see someone in functional medicine that might think differently about it. Right, yes, and and um, some choose to do that, but you know, honestly, probably uh, rather than to push or pressure your primary care physician to do something they may not feel comfortable with, if they don't feel comfortable with it, you're probably not gonna get the information that you need even if you get the right labs. So what you may wanna do is just opt to consult a functional medicine provider and allow them to choose what they, no kidding, really want you to get done. Sure, so yeah, absolutely. That's some of it, and then have to do more labs later. Great. 
Can you go a little bit into some of the, the free T3, T4, reverse T3? Sure. Sure. Just a little bit about how that that works and then maybe even yeah. talking about like nutrients as you mentioned before and the raw materials that we might need for that right so um you know i mentioned before the tsh um and then free t3 free t4 and reverse t3 let me explain what all of that means yeah uh, tsh stands for thyroid stimulating hormone and the thyroid stimulating hormone or tsh is produced from the pituitary in your brain, and it's a message sent to your actual thyroid gland. So the messages produce more thyroid hormone. So that's what the TSH does. So when you see a high level of TSH, your body's saying, uh, your, your pituitary specifically is saying, hey, you need to produce more thyroid hormone thyroid gland. That's what a TSH is. So, um, so that's TSH. And then when the thyroid produces thyroid hormone, it's typically T4 thyroid hormone or otherwise known as thyroxin. And um, so you can produce like, uh, you can have in a, in a lab measurement, you can have a total T4 and you can have a measurement of free T4. Total T4 is the absolute amount produced, whether it's free or bound to protein. And a free T4 is that which is only free, not bound to protein. And when it's bound to protein, it's really not utilized. It's just kind of floating there, waiting for an opportunity to be used if the body so sees fit, and and you know there is uh, you know no more binding of the thyroid hormone. But about ninety nine percent of our thyroid hormone is actually bound okay. to either either um, a, a protein known as albumin or to thyroid binding globulin. So. Most of it's bound up, but there is a measurement of free T4, which is actually what you're using in your body. Oh, okay, okay. So that's why it's important to measure the free T4 and the free T3, because that's what you're actually able to use. Okay. So, um, so backing up for just a minute. So the T4 that the thyroid produces is not really um, usable. If I could make an analogy, it's sort of like this. So um, let's call TSH the boss, okay? okay? And the boss is saying, hey, you need to go ahead and pay the employees, make the paycheck. So the boss is sending a message to the thyroid. The TSH is the boss sending a message to the thyroid saying produce more hormone or produce cash for the employees, okay? So um, the thyroid produces the money, but when it produces the money or the thyroid hormone or T4, it produces a paycheck. A paycheck can't be used, right? It's the storage form of thyroid hormone. T4 is kind of the storage form of thyroid hormone. It has to be converted to the active form of thyroid hormone, which is mm -hmm. T3. Yeah. So it's sort of like you have to take the paycheck and you have to bring it to the bank and convert it to cash, and then you can use the cash. And that's sort of like what T3 is. Okay. It's sort of like the cash that you can actually use. And oftentimes but, you see people that, that aren't able to convert, right? Correct, yes. In many cases, people aren't able to convert the check to cash or T4 to T3, that's very common. Um, another thing to mention is that T4 thyroid hormone or the paycheck, um, can also have automatic deductions taken out of it, or <laughs> that's what I call it, automatic deductions. Um, 
So, so basically what you can do is you can actually um, have things that cause you not to convert it to the active form, but to convert it to a form known as reverse T3 rather than T3. And reverse T3 is sort of like the brakes on your metabolism. It just doesn't work. It's a dud. <laughs> okay. So, um, so your body can convert it to reverse T3 instead of T3. And, and by doing some of those tests, you would see what the body's actually doing, right? Correct. So converting, yes. converting it to reverse T3. I have too much of right. that. My body's yeah. not using it. What's yeah. going on? Right. And by the way, that analogy, um, Dr. Laura Sellier, I want to give her credit for that analogy. So yeah, she's um, great. She probably has yeah. a graphic for that, doesn't she? Yes, she does actually. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah, she's great. So that's, that's an interesting way of thinking about it because there's so much more going on with that than just the TSH, that number. That's right. I mean, and it's, it's just a measure. I mean, think about it, if you will. Um, if you're only measuring, like in real life, if you would just measure what happens from the boss saying, hey, go ahead and pay the employees, and you don't look at the rest of the process, you really don't know whether or not the money made it into the hands of the employees. Exactly. If they don't have a bank account, they can't cash a check. So they're, right. they're not getting yeah. anything. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a great analogy and, and a, a really good um, sort of visual in terms of what's going on behind the scenes and what else we need to check out. And so then when you find that information and you see that, wow, maybe I'm not converting, whatever that might mean to, you know, the average person, but what is the driver of that? Why could, why is that possibly happening? That's kind of the root cause functional medicine idea, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's a few things that tend to be um, heavy hitters in terms of things that can go wrong and cause thyroid function to go awry. So, um, so for example, um, the conversion of T4 to T3 requires selenium and zinc. So if you're zinc or selenium deficient, that's not gonna happen. Or if you are in a, a um, situation where there's a lot of physical or emotional stress, you're not going to convert T4 to T3. If you have some kind of infection, if you've been through major trauma, if you've been exposed to toxins, in many cases, it's not going to happen. If you have an autoimmune disease, it's very common not to convert your T4 to T3. Mm -hmm. So here you go, you have this paycheck and you're not converting it to cash and, and you're basically unable to use your money, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, it's going to be low energy. You're not going to feel as good. You know, you're going to have potentially some symptoms of low thyroid function. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, which is the, you know, hypothyroid as we're talking about. So when you, when you talk about low selenium or low zinc or, you know, how does that actually happen? Is there a, a mechanism? Do you know what might be again, like digging even deeper? Like what is the reason someone would have low selenium or zinc? Is it nutrition? Is it our there's, body? There's many reasons. Yeah. Um, so, you know, our, our soils are selenium deficient for one. It's a very common issue. Um, and in some cases we utilize more nutrients depending on what's happening in our body. So for example, if we have a, um, a, a lot of chronic inflammation, we're gonna use up our body's zinc stores because they are needed for repair. 
And so, um, you know, just as an example, it's very common to see when people have undiagnosed food sensitivities, that they'll have a low zinc because their intestines, their intestinal lining is constantly repairing because of the inflammation and the damage caused from the inflammation as a result of chronic low-grade inflammation from food sensitivities. Okay. So, I mean, that's an example, but there are many different things that can happen that can cause that scenario. Well, and when you think about inflammation, I mean, there's so many environmental causes for inflammation as well. So absolutely. Yeah, the food issue and the gut issue and, and our soil being depleted. Um, So thinking about, um, let's, let's grab onto a couple of these things. So trauma and stress, Mm -hmm. how does that, what's the mechanism that affects the thyroid, you know, in that case, because this is one thing I think that um, for me as a health coach, it's really sometimes a challenge to help people understand the connection between the stress piece and the physiological changes sure. in the body. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing. So whether, whether it's conversion of T4 to T3 or whether it's, um, you know, just, just kind of a preference for that reverse T3 uh, pathway or whatever, there are many different ways that inflammation and that stress impact your ability for the thyroid hormone to actually make it inside the cell and and actually um, affect change inside the cell. So it's not just a conversion issue, it's even way more than that. It is a a cellular resistance issue. So in other words, even if the T4 was converted to T3, that T3 may be sitting outside of the cell door, so to speak, and can't get in. Mm -hmm. And there's resistance to it even entering into the cell because of inflammation. So there's cellular hormone resistance in cases of inflammation too. So it's it's almost like no matter what the process, it kind of gets stuck at every step along the way when there's inflammation. For whatever reason, that is just a huge heavy hitter for thyroid. Right, right, yeah. And, and inflammation can be caused by stressors in our environment, as you said, trauma, toxins, pesticides, heavy metals, autoimmune disease that is already present could, could lead to that. You know, sometimes I describe the thyroid or thyroid issues as like the canary in the coal mine. Is that a good way of describing it? I mean, that it it can alert you to things going on in the body that you may not be aware of? So I think it's hilarious that you said that because um, I know know the um, listeners can't see, but the last page (laughs) of one of my thyroid presentations actually has a little canary and coal miner in it. Maybe um, I got that from you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty common to, to describe okay. the thyroid as the canary in the coal mine yeah. because it is such a delicate, sensitive gland in our body. And um, in many cases, you know, we think of all the people that have thyroid problems. It, it is the first thing that tends to be Um, tends to go, if you will, if there's something not quite right in the body. Sort of like the canaries with coal miners in the past, the coal miners would take canaries with them when they would go deep into these coal mines where there may be potentially um, harmful amounts um, of carbon monoxide. And the canaries were very sensitive 
to even low amounts of carbon monoxide. And so when the coal miners would see that the canaries were not, you know, um, acting like they normally would and not singing, and they looked like they were starting to, you know, perhaps uh, maybe not live. <laughs> um, when they saw that, they realized, okay, so there's carbon monoxide here, even though I can't appreciate it, this, this tiny canary can, and so I need to get out of here before it affects me. And so that's why the coal miners would, would take the canary into the coal mine with them. And our thyroid's kind of like that because it allows for us to know, you know, something's not quite right in my body. This is the first thing. Mm -hmm. that that is going to tip me off and so now I need to dig deeper and figure out what's going on and it can be many things um, you know as you mentioned stress and inflammation and toxins and stealth infections and malnutrition and you know many many different possibilities and it malnutrition that's kind of an interesting one because we think of of our our society and and you know we have a, a society that you know for the most part in the U.S. we have um people who are in the obese range, and you wouldn't think of people in that stage being malnourished, but malnourishment really doesn't mean that you're emaciated. It's that your body really isn't getting the nutrients that it needs, even if you are eating a lot of food. Correct, yes. And, and in fact, we can be obese or overweight and malnourished at the same time. Yeah, that is that is an amazing thing, because I think you know, again, uh, the historical idea around malnourishment, you would, you know, what comes to mind, right? Somebody that's really thin and not eating, and that's really not the case all the time. So, so now that we have all this information from the tests that we, you know, sought out our functional medicine person to do, um, all of that information, we find that these numbers are off a little bit. Um, what comes next? Uh, what do you what do you do next to really kind of look at, okay, how do we dig a little bit deeper to find this root cause? You mentioned gut microbiome, things like that, maybe um, low acid, not, not absorbing things. How do we check that out? So um, I would say it, it really depends on what the root cause is, but you want to cast your net wide and, you know, see what you can find. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe even backing up just a little bit, um, making sure that you have all the nutrients that are needed to produce thyroid hormones. So for example, iron is a heavy hitter. Mm -hmm. If you don't have enough iron, and that's a very common nutrient insufficiency or deficiency that we see, especially in women of uh, menstruating age, mm -hmm. because they, they may have heavy periods or something of that nature. And they may be a little bit insufficient in iron. If you don't have iron, you're not going to produce T4 thyroid hormone. And nothing's going to be, you know, no T4, then no T3 and nothing after that. Yeah. So, um, you know, so first off, I think, make sure you have enough of the nutrients that are needed. And of course, you can even kind of look and see, well, you know, okay, what might I need to look at, depending on the nutrient, what might I need to look at as the potential cause? So you might want to look at it that way. And then you also may want to look at it as, you know, what's the, the stressor? What's the inflammatory trigger? What's the toxin? What's, you know, just kind of looking at it from that perspective too. Um, for supporting thyroid hormone, the traditional approach is supporting with T4, but um, from a functional medicine perspective, um, I find that a lot of people actually do better on a combination of T3 and T4. So examples of this 
maybe NP thyroid or uh, nature thyroid um, or West thyroid. It's, it's a little bit difficult to find some of them. Yeah. Armor thyroid is probably the easiest to find, yeah. um, but it's a combination of T3 and T4. Um, some people actually do better on just plain T3 without the T4 in it. Mm -hmm. So in a case where you see that someone has um, a, uh, a, high, a low T3 and a high reverse T3, um, what you might actually want to do is you may want to just give them plain T3 because if you give someone T4, remember T4 is the paycheck that needs to be converted and it could be converted to T3, but it's possible that it could go down the other pathway and just be substrate for more reverse T3. Mm -hmm. So in order to prevent that from happening, you can just give someone plain T3. Yeah, so many options, I think, um, in terms of, of that way of looking at it. If we kind of step back to the nutrients and iron and um, maybe look at even someone's diet, right? Yeah, what are some absolutely. Things that you would talk about in terms of, I mean, I think about iron and the, the old school thinking of iron is you should eat more red meat and liver. <laughs> and I yeah. don't actually eat meat. So for me, <laughs> I think, oh, can I just have some spinach? <laughs> right? but what are some well, of the things that you could do from a nutritional standpoint? Um, sure. Yeah. Some of, some of the um, most nutritious foods are the things you need to be most, most conscious of. So believe it or not, iron is actually best absorbed if, well, if you're taking an iron supplement, it's actually best absorbed in a meal where you're consuming meat. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what they find. That is the case. And actually um, meat is a very good source of iron. So that is maybe just another thing to consider if you are low in iron. Um, the uh, vegetarian sources of iron, if, if you are already getting them in your diet and your iron is still low, it could be that um, either A, you, you actually need to try a little bit of a different form. Maybe you do need to add a little bit of meat in the diet, or maybe you have low stomach acid and whatever it is you're consuming, you're not breaking down. Um, so if you don't have stomach acid, you're not gonna be able to absorb a lot of the minerals such as iron. Um, and of course, you just wanna make sure that uh, you know, if you have any GI bleeding or vaginal bleeding or heavy periods or anything like that, that you have that address, that's iron. Now, iodine is another one that's very important to get. Um, and our diet is, it tends to be low iodine. And that's why iodized salt was actually, um, uh, became a thing in the past that, that we've initiated in the U.S. But high iodine foods would be seafood. Mm -hmm. and um, seaweed and kelp and yeah. things of that nature. Um, so that may be something to add to the diet. Zinc, high zinc foods would be oysters. I know that doesn't sound like a food that a lot of people eat, but oysters actually are very high in zinc as are pumpkin seeds. Ooh. So yeah. Well, that actually makes me think about um, Seed cycling, is that something that you ever talk about with anyone? Do you know anything? Is that, I, I always have people ask me about that and it's an interesting concept, but I, I wonder what your thought is about that. Yeah, I, I can't say that that's a subject I've really delved into, but so I'm, I'm interested, Karen, what, what do you know about it? 
Well, it, you know, there's, there's kind of this combination of seeds that you can do in your um, luteal phase and your follicular phase, even if you're in, if, even if you're not, um, you know, if you're postmenopausal, but it's just a, a combination of um, for your follicular phase, it's pumpkin seeds and flax. And uh-huh. then for the luteal phase, it's sesame seeds and um, sunflower seeds. Oh, interesting. So you just do them for two weeks, and it's it's an interesting thought. And it it there is a connection between the estrogen and estrogen dominance, and kind of supporting that when you need it or when it's too high or too low. Um, but saying that, you know, talking about the zinc and knowing that we're talking about thyroid and hormones and all of that. Sure. You know, food is such medicine. It's it's it medicine is. and it's information for our body. And absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So see, I um I I failed to mention um two other things. I just wanted to mention this. So with protein, not only do you get um like if you're getting a little bit of animal protein, you're also getting a little bit of tyrosine and zinc, which, you know, can be very important. And then selenium, some of the richest forms of selenium are Brazil nuts. Oh, yes. So four or five Brazil nuts a day pretty much gives you your selenium for the most part. Yeah. And and they taste actually very good too. I just made a a little um, sauce with Brazil nuts and it was lovely. There's so many different things that you can do with it, but I love the idea of thinking about nutrients and food as medicine and and how mm-hmm. to support it from that perspective as well. Um, Absolutely. You know, and we, we talked a little bit too about, about the stress piece or toxins in your environment. I mean, there's definitely testing that you would do. Um, you said cast a wide net and see what you can find. So, so you're looking at maybe some gut microbiome testing. You're looking at the, the full panel for the thyroid. Um, you know, and, and some of this is going to be... Um, depending on the person and the symptoms that they have, you know, obviously we, we have to be good stewards of the funds that our, our clients or patients have, but um, some of it may be somewhat dependent upon what their symptoms are or their history is. So for example, if you see someone that has a history of um, what, what appears to be very obvious toxin exposure, maybe you need to go down that route. But in another individual, maybe that's not so much a part of the history, but they have a lot of stress. So maybe that's the road you need to take. Or maybe in another individual, they've got a lot of gut issues. So perhaps that's the first thing you need to do. Sometimes it's hard to do everything all at the same time because, again, you know, we only have so much bandwidth, you know, to to address at one point in time and also funds, you know, and so you want to make sure that you give them the most bang for their buck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so when, when you're talking to about, you know, the high toxin exposure or heavy metals, that's certainly down the road a little bit, maybe, but the stress piece, what do you look at? What, what sort of testing do you do to see if maybe there is some physiological indication of higher stress levels that might be impacting that thyroid that, you know, maybe you can work on with your health coach, <laughs> lower the stress yeah. level. Right. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes we can be in denial about how much stress we're under Um, and stress can be both physical. So it can be a bodily stressor, like a chronic illness, or maybe running a marathon or something of that nature. So that's like examples of um, physical stressors, or they can be emotional or mental stressors. 
So the idea of um, a divorce or financial strain or losing your job or you know something of that nature can be an emotional stressor. So um, for those uh, that perhaps we consider might have more emotional stress than what um, maybe they led on to, there's a few things that we can do to further evaluate that. One would be giving them the perceived uh, stress evaluation. And I can actually send that to you, Karen, if you want to post it. But, yeah. but you know, just kind of uh, a questionnaire to just evaluate one's perceived stress. Mm -hmm. You know, how much, how much stress do we really feel like we're under? Um, and these questions just kind of uh, unwrap that a little bit more. Um, another thing that we can do is we can look at a salivary adrenal profile. So we can check someone's cortisol. We can check it morning, noon, afternoon, and night, and just see if it's high or if it's low. Uh, and a DHEA level can be checked with that as well. And that can give us clues as to whether or not someone is, you know, maybe under under enough stress that their adrenals are starting to be taxed. And that can be a good clue as to whether or not their body's under duress. Um, and then, of course, you know, just signs and symptoms many times tell us the story too. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think too, um, you know, so the cortisol is like sort of our stress hormone, DHEA, how would you classify that? That's, you kind of compare the two, the ratio of the DHEA and cortisol. And DHEA is a... So, so DHEA, dihydroepiandrostenedione, um, DHEA <laughs> is um, an adrenal hormone. And it functions to just kind of tamp down that cortisol response. It's, yeah. it's very good at just kind of helping with that. And it can be a um, kind of a vital sign, if you will, just telling us how our adrenals are functioning, how, how long have they been stressed? And, um, you know, usually what we see is in an initial stress response, um, if someone has not had a lot of adrenal fatigue, we might see a DHEA going up a little bit with an initial stress response, and then it goes back down to normal. Mm -hmm. Cortisol levels remain in check because the DHEA can keep it in check, and that's that. But later on down the line, as the adrenals fatigue a little bit more, we might see that the uh, cortisol levels are not kept in check. Um, and, uh, you know, that tends to be kind of a, you know, a sign that, okay, we're really starting to go down the road where adrenals are starting to get a little bit um, tired, if you will, or having a little bit of difficulty keeping up. Um, and then as time goes by, sometimes you'll see high cortisol levels, sometimes you'll see low cortisol levels, and usually the DHEA is declining as that time goes by. It's not able to keep up with the demand. And then eventually, ultimately, we may see um, low cortisol levels all the way around. Uh, along with a low DHEA. And that's a sign that this is a late presentation of stress. This person has stage stage three adrenal fatigue or HPA axis dysfunction. This person has a lot that has happened to them. So, oh gosh, yeah, there's so much to unpack, I think, about stress. And, and even talking about the chronic little stressors throughout the day of being overscheduled or you know, doing things that maybe aren't within your value system, but you do them anyway. Um, lots of different chronic little stressors, I think, can be an issue as well. Um, because as you said, we minimize stress. And it we doesn't do. have to be those big things. It doesn't have to be my house is going into foreclosure, my husband left me, 
It can be the chronic daily stressors, even of going to a job every day that you really don't like. And, really- and in, some, in some cases, it's not even a real event. It's a perceived right. stressor. Right. You know, so for example, um, you know, if you believe that your, your husband's going to cheat on you and he's not cheating on you and he's gone because he's late coming home from work, you know, right. that's a stress regardless of whether it's a reality or if it's a perception, mm-hmm. it's still the same stress. And, and a lot of stress is perceived. Sure. It is the way you see it. And mindset is important. And that's why a health coach is important. <laughs> I mean, that is a lot of what, what we work on tools for, for stress management, mindset, noticing, paying attention, having awareness around those things. Um, there's so many tools to be able to, to kind of get people to, to pay attention, but also just take micro slices in the day of three or five minutes to just bring yourself back to a, a, maybe a calmer level and shift that mindset around. Absolutely. What are some of the things that you like to recommend for your um, patients to, to try and think about um, managing stress? We've talked about the nutrition piece. We've talked about all the testing. Um, what are some other tools that, that people can use to maybe shift their lifestyle in a way that will support their thyroid function? So um, thyroid strong function and stress, I think both <laughs> need to be you know, supported at the same time. I would say um, they both support each other. And um, in terms of stress resilience, things that you can do to kind of help out, I think one of the most important things here in the US that we don't have a good handle on is taking time to rest. Mm. You know, Taking time um, at night to actually unwind and rest and not just be, a hamster on a wheel running all day, all the day long. And then you go to bed and that's it. Um, Taking time to unwind and to rest, you know, creating a routine um, where you can do that. Um, Also, I think uh, meditation and mindfulness and yoga, these are all excellent stress resilience techniques. I think those are good. Um, I think making a conscious effort to try to live in a manner where you're, you're eating clean and you're using clean and green products in your home for cleaning and things of that nature it takes a stress off your body, if you will. And that's important for the thyroid as well as the adrenals. So, yeah. you know, those are just a few things we could go on and on and on. Oh my gosh. I know. I mean, there's, there's so much to think about. I mean, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, great practices, even if all you can do is 10 minutes at a time. Yes, um, still think absolutely. Really effective. But resting, like sleep, so, mm-hmm. so critically. I mean, that's going to be, we, we could do a whole nother podcast episode on sleep itself. We could. And stress we itself. Could. Um, yep. A conscious effort for clean and green, right? I think um, what you're talking about is maybe organic foods, if you can get them, um, you know, clean products. I think one of my favorite places to look is ewg.org, where you can um, find you know, the, the clean 15 and the dirty dozen, which talks Absolutely. about organic products and produce and which ones you should buy if you're on a budget. If you can buy them all organic, that's fantastic. But, you know, oftentimes that's outside of the reach of a lot of us. Um, and then clean products too. So, wow. I mean, this has been such a great sort of deep dive, I think, into for sure the thyroid, right? All the testing that we can do, 
um, what functional medicine can do in a, in a slightly different way than um, conventional medicine, um, some lifestyle tips. I think that's, that's really um, key, thinking about foods that you can add, um, foods that you can maybe think differently about that might affect your thyroid. Let's talk a little bit about your new practice and how someone might be able to find you if they really wanted to kind of dig deep into some of these things or anything else that you work with. I mean, it's not just thyroid that you do. Yeah. Well, thanks, Karen. Yeah. So um, Awaken Functional Medicine is the name of my new practice. And you can find me on the internet at www awakenfm.net. So if you're interested, definitely check us out. We're in Niceville, Florida. Doesn't that just sound like a great place to live? Niceville. Like we're everywhere. <laughs> right. And, and um, I, I am taking new patients. Um, the focus is, uh, you know, working on, um, you know, a good uh, lifestyle approach as well as, you um, you know, just uh, trying to find the root of what could be the issue that's happening if it's beyond the lifestyle, but definitely making sure to live clean and green first and see what happens just doing that. Yeah. You know, in many cases, that solves a lot of problems in and of itself. It definitely does. And you've got some really great people working with you too. You have a dietitian, you have... Um... I sure do. Yes. I have a wonderful and amazing dietitian as well as an awesome health coach. So... Um, you know, I, I come with guns loaded if anyone would like to come. <laughs> and so are you doing virtual visits? Are you doing in-office visits? What is your setup? So, so in the state of Florida, um, we, we cannot see people from across the U.S. We have a license in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, so the um, initial appointment needs to be in uh, Niceville, Florida. Um, we do virtual visits, but it would have to be within the state of Florida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So even the first visit could be, do you have to do the first visit in person? And then after in that, person, in person. Yeah. Yep. That's great though. Um, you know, I think we need more functional medicine practitioners around the country that are offering absolutely a different, a different look at, at what we, um, we think of as medicine. It's, it's really changing the paradigm of health. Absolutely. Yep. That's the idea. That's what we need, right? The world needs a, a little bit more of this type of approach for long-term health. I think so. I mean, that's, that's really, um, you know, I think underlying health is a really important factor right now. It always has been, but it's ramping up a little bit more where I think people are thinking, you know, I need to take care of what's going on a little bit deeper inside of me so I'm healthier for the rest of my life and for whatever the universe might be throwing at me. Right. Well, and, and we, we also have so many amazing advances in technology that allow us to live a long life and maybe not necessarily a healthy life. Exactly. So we can live a long sick life, but I think everyone realizes or many people realize that they don't want to live a long sick life. They want to live a long healthy life. They want a long health span as, as well as a long lifespan. Yeah, I think that's so key. I had a, a client today who told me that her her husband's father just passed away at 95 and he exercised every day of his life. Wow. Before he even got out of bed, he did stretches and he oh exercised. I know. And this was all like the only time that he didn't were the six days before he passed away that he wasn't wow. feeling well. At 95. Amazing. 
Right. That's and great. That, and that's, you know, it's, it's little things, right? I'm sure he didn't spend Absolutely. an hour in his bed doing stretches. He probably spent about 15, 20 minutes, but he lived an active life. He lived a life of healthy, clean food, taking care of himself, getting enough rest. It, you know, simple basics can sometimes be um, the key to it as well. And I think meaningful connection, connection and intellectual stimulation too, you know, especially as we get older, those become increasingly important things that we need to seek out. Yeah. And we're shifting the way we do it right now, but it's not going to be forever. And you're right. I think that connection is important. That's, that kind of speaks to a little bit of the blue zones um, work that Dan Buettner has done. Have you read any of his stuff? Yes. Yeah. So we, we do have a blue zone here in the U S so that's, that's kind of nice to know. Yeah. Loma Linda, California. Loma Linda. Yeah. I was actually close to that last, well, before COVID came, um, it was in September, we were in um, Riverside, California. It's not too far. And I did a hike out there and I was like so excited because everywhere I went, I could get something that that I wanted to eat because primarily <laughs> you to move there. <laughs> vegetarian, right? It's vegetarian yeah. and, and yeah. vegan. So yeah, we do have a blue zone and they're also creating blue zones in other cities so that you can set your city, you know, city planners are setting cities up to, to support that being able to walk, to get your groceries, being able to, you know, interact with people easily um, accessible in terms of movement and connection. Let's let's move to a blue zone, Karen. Yes. Well, I know. <laughs> Cleveland is not a blue zone, but <laughs> you might have to walk through the snow to get your groceries. Hey, that's even yeah, maybe that's even better. <laughs> think about that. Yeah. You can you can change. You can do it, Karen. Make I a blue zone it. up there. You can make this a blue zone, right? Yep. That's my imperative. Well, Amy, this has been a really fun conversation and talking about connecting, it's really great to, to see you and talk to you again. Absolutely, absolutely. I know it's we been keep great. up with messages and things like that, but it's nice to see you too. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's so good to see you too, Karen. You take care. And I appreciate you being on, on the podcast. I'll make sure that in the show notes, we put all the information on how people can reach you and find you Sounds on good. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So was that a great in-depth conversation on thyroid or what? Thanks for hanging in to the end. As usual, please check the show notes on my website, karenbush.com, for links on several items we mentioned during this conversation. This podcast was sponsored by Full Capacity Living Podcast, Karen Bush Functional Medicine Health Coaching. If you know anyone who would benefit from the information in this show, please share. And if you enjoyed the conversation, don't forget to head over to the Apple podcast to review the show and subscribe. Thanks for listening all. See you soon.